our minds and our eyes clearly fixed on you, Lord. Lord, so many things seem to get in the way and distractions and, and just daily life stuff. But Lord, we know that, that as we walk closer to you, as we continue to focus on you, all of that stuff fades away. And so Lord, I, I pray tonight that, that you would just meet us, each one of us, right where we are. Lord, that you would draw us close to you. Lord, we know that's your heart, to have us, <laughs> to have us right next to you. Lord, we ask that, that in this next few minutes that we have together in your word, that you would meet us where we are and that you would uh, speak to us individually. Lord, we're here in the middle of our week and we need you to get through the end of the week. So Lord, fill us tonight. Give us that, that charge that we need from your word that, that only comes from you. We're here to hear from you, Lord, in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. Please be seated. Grab your Bibles, please. If you don't have a Bible with you tonight, please grab one from a rack on a seat in front of you. This is a Bible study, so you need one. Open it up to the book of Joshua. If you don't have a Bible, please take this one home with you afterwards. Joshua chapter 2. Joshua chapter 2. We pick up there where we left off last time as as we've been studying through here and leading up and into the book of Joshua, if you haven't been a part of our study, the, the children of Israel are right on the doorstep of the promised land, the land that the Lord promised to their forefathers all the way back to Abraham. And, and here they are within, actually, as we will find out now, within three days of actually crossing over and into the land. So pick up with me, chapter 2, verse 1. Then Joshua, the son of Nun, sent two men as spies secretly from Shittim, saying, Go view the land, especially Jericho. Now before we finish verse 1, I want to stop there for a second because... I, when, when we read something like this, and again, understanding who this is, this is Joshua, and knowing the history of Joshua, when I read that, my first question is, why is Joshua sending two spies into Jericho? I mean, I could tell you right off, right off the bat why he didn't send 12, right? <laughs> I mean, we know why he didn't send 12, that didn't work out the first time. When they sent 12 over, 10 came back and said, no way, don't do it. But Joshua and Caleb were the two that went as Moses sent them in the first time. And they're the ones that came back and said, man, this is awesome. It's everything that God said. Yeah, there are giants in there, but you should see it. Everything that God said is true. And this is what he promised for us, so let's go. But now here we are, and Joshua's in charge, and he sends these guys in. What, we, we, we know that he knows the land. He's seen it. We know that he knows the opponent. He's seen them. We know that he knows God because, again, 
40 years previously, he had faith that said, let's go. So why? Again, that's where I, 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 I got stuck on that and just thinking through that. And when we think of faith, faith, could it be a lack of faith? And again, I'm, I'm not drawing anything definitively with this. It's just a question going through my head, and I'll just let you know what's going on in my head today. <laughs> faith. Hebrews defines faith this way. Hebrews chapter 11, it says, Now faith is the assurance of things hoped for and the conviction of things not seen. So with, with that definition, the assurance, things that we can know absolutely for certain, things that we haven't seen. That, we, that the conviction of things that we might not know everything about. And it tells us later on in verse 6 of Hebrews 11 that it is improbable to please God without faith. Somebody's listening. It's impossible, impossible to please God without faith. Now, I say that because, if you have flipped to Hebrews 11, great. If not, that's, that's fine. We have for us in Hebrews chapter 11... The hall of faith is what we call it, where God recorded for us a, a who's who of faith. Uh, uh, the Old Testament saints, it's, it's you know, again, it's, it's great. How many of you were with us when we went through Hebrews? Several? Okay. So we went through this, and we went through it person by person, and we studied through that. The hall of faith. Now, the little quick study one of my favorite tri Bible trivia questions, who's the first person mentioned in the hall of faith? Any guesses? All of you who were, all of, all of you who were in the study several months ago should know the answer, Rick. We are. We're the first ones mentioned. Hebrews 11.3, by faith we understand that the words were prepared by the word of God so that we, what is seen is not out of things which are visible. So anyway, there's a tri Bible trivia question for you. Totally off subject, sorry. Hebrews chapter 11, and I guess back to my point. Why is, why is Joshua sending these men in? Well, Hebrews, it's interesting because, again, these are the giants of the faith, right? The hall of faith. Hebrews 11, 32 says this, and what shall I say? And this is after he's gone through and listed, you know, Abraham and Moses and, I mean, all of the big guys, right? And he goes on, he goes, what shall I say? For the time will fail me if I tell of Gideon, Barak, Samson, Jephthah, of David, and Samuel and the prophets. The first one that he lists there, Gideon. Gideon. Hall of faith. Gideon. The one who, when God said, do this, he said, I tell you what, Lord, here's the deal. I'm going to put out a sheepskin, and in the morning, you make that wet and the ground around it dry. And then, then, then we're good. God does that. The next day, he goes, all right, tell you what, let's do it the other way real quick. Just to make sure it was you, make the ground wet and that dry, okay? That Gideon, that Gideon who then the Lord took from all of his men from 30,000 down to 300 to battle these men. But I, 
say that then. And this is what, this is what the Lord now is speaking to Gideon in, in Judges chapter 7. He says that after he's whittled it down to 300 men, the Lord said, Now that the same night it came about that the Lord said to him, Arise, go down against the camp, for I have given it into your hands. Now, God's shown him all of this stuff, and now he's speaking directly to him. But listen to what God says next. He says, But if you are afraid to go down, go with Purah, your servant, down to the camp. And you will hear what they say, and afterward your hands will be strengthened that you may go down against the camp. So he went with Purah, his servant, down to the outposts of the army that was in the camp. Now the Midianites and the Amalekites and the the sons of the east were lying in the valley as numerous as locusts. And their camels were without number, as numerous as the sands on the seashore. Now remember, Gideon's got 300 men. And Gideon came, behold, a man was relating a dream to his friend, and he said, behold, I had a dream. A loaf of barley bread was tumbling into the camp of Midian, and it came to the tent, and it struck it, and it fell, and it turned upside down so that the tent lay flat. His friend replied, this is nothing less than the sword of Gideon and the son of Joash, a man of Israel. God has given Midian and the camp into his hand. So they go down and they're lit, they, they're eavesdropping on the enemy's camp. And the ki- one guy says, man, I had a dream. And he says it. And the other guy says, oh my goodness, that's Gideon. He's going to kill us. God sends Gideon down so that he hears that conversation. That he gets a, a word of confirmation, if you would. The second one that, that is mentioned for us in, that, in, in Hebrews 11.32, Barak. His, his story is told for us in Judges chapter 4. If we pick up in verse 4, it says, Now Deborah, a prophetess, the wife of Lipidoth, was judging Israel at the time. She used to sit under the palm tree of Deborah between Ramah and Bethel in the hills country of Ephraim, and the sons of Israel came to her for judgment. Now she sent and summoned Barak, the son of Abinomam, from Kadesh Naphtali, and said to him, Behold, the Lord, the God of Israel, has commanded, Go and march to Mount Tabor, and take with you 10,000 men from the sons of Naphtali, and take from the sons of Zebulun. I will draw out to you Sisera, and the commander of Jabin's army, with his chariots, and with his many troops on the river Kishon, and I will give them into your hand. So here she is, telling Barak, You go, command this army. The Lord has given it into your hand. And what does this man of faith say? It says, then Barak said to her, I'll go if you go with me. (laughs) That's what it says. If you won't go with me, I won't go. Now, I have this nightmare, because I've used this illustration before. I have this nightmare that when I'm going to get to heaven, Barack is like this huge dude, and he's not going to think that's very funny. (laughs) Anyway, she said, verse 9, I will surely go with you. Nevertheless, the honor shall not be yours on the journey that you are about to take, for the Lord will send Sisera into the hands of a woman. Then Deborah rose and went with Barak to Kadesh. Well, I say that in this illustration because, again, we get to the hall of faith and Barak is listed. So, here's my point. Where is he going with this? Here's my point. Joshua 
before he's about to embark in this, he sends these two spies over. And I see in that, again, God's desire that our faith is strengthened. It says, without faith, it's impossible to please God. God isn't out there trying to get us not to please him. He loves it when we have faith and when we exercise that faith. So in Gideon, I see that God loves to send along a word of encouragement, a, a word of confirmation to strengthen our faith. But then also in, in, with Barak and with what I believe, again, him sending these messengers, these spies over, the Lord loves to send us companionship as well. Somebody that, that, that he puts skin on to come alongside of us and encourage us in the way. They're about to undertake some stuff, as we're going to see, that is going to require great faith. And I don't believe that, that Joshua was a man of weak faith. We know that he wasn't. But remember, the Lord said to him very, several times as we've gone through, be strong and courageous, be strong and courageous. And here I just see the Lord just strengthening him. But there's also another reason why, and the, the text is clear as to why that is. Because there was a, a faith to strengthen, I believe, but there was also a life to lengthen. Let's look. So they went, the two spies, and came into the house of a harlot whose name was Rahab and lodged there. It was told the king of Jericho, saying, Behold, men from the sons of Israel have come here tonight to search out the land. And the king of Jericho sent word to Rahab, saying, Bring out the men who have come to you, who have entered your house, for they have come to search out the land. But the woman had taken the two men and hidden them, and she said, Yes, the men came to me, but I did not know where they were from. It came about when it was time to shut the gate at dark that the men went out. I do not know where the men went. Pursue them quickly, for you will overtake them. But she had brought them up on the roof and hidden them in the stalks of flax, which she had laid on the roof, it laid in order on the roof. So the men pursued them down the road to the Jordan, the fjords, and then, and then soon as they were, who were pursuing them had gone out, they shut the gate. So here we're introduced to a woman named Rahab. Now, the, the fact that it tells us right here in verse 2 that, sh that she is a harlot, that has caused many to take a step back and almost be embarrassed by the fact that, that God would, would do that. And they point to the fact, well, there is a possibility because the word does also carry with it the meaning innkeeper in, in Hebrew. So they say, so that's probably what it meant. That would be great, except she's mentioned several times in the New Testament with the word, the Greek word porne next to it to describe the harlot, and we know porne. We get our word pornography from that. She is, this was her profession. This was her profession. She was, she was a prostitute. And first of all, again, we could be embarrassed about that. We can you know, apologize about that or try to, to get around that fact. But bottom line, we should be thankful for that. Because in that, and again, as we continue our story, we're going to see that God saves this harlot. God saves Rahab's life. God, 
God saves the, the worst of the worst as the world would look at them. And, and that blesses me. That blesses me. I hope it blesses you. Because none of us would want to stand up here and reveal all of our past and all of the things that we've been through and to put a camera on our life. But, but the fact that God washed away all of that sin, the Lord Jesus took all of that on himself. The Lord said that, the Bible tells us that the Lord spent a lot of time with, with tax, collector, tax collectors and prostitutes. Now, he, he did that because they were, they were drawn to him because they were repentant and, and turning from their sin. Jesus said, go and sin no more. But he also said to those on the judgmental side of that, he was without sin, cast the first stone. The Lord loves to save the lost. <laughs> he came to seek and to save the lost, and he loves to save Rahab's. Again, that blesses me, and we'll talk a little bit more about it later, but as we share the gospel, let us never, ever say they're too far gone. Here we see not only a harlot, but I don't know if you noticed that when we read through it, but she's also a liar. It said, she said, first of all, I... I don't know where they're from. We're going to find out in the next section of verses we read. That's a lie. She knows exactly where they're from. She said, I don't know where they went. They, they're gone. That's a lie. They, she knows exactly where they are. They're up on her roof, buried in the stalks of flax. And I've heard people have used this verse these verses, along with the verses in back when with Moses and the and the the um, nursemaids with Moses saying, see, it's not always wrong to lie. Dangerous, dangerous line to walk. When we, when we look at this, we say, well, she got away with it. God blessed it. Did God bless it? Or did God allow them to stay hidden? We have to be careful when we say that God blesses sin because it, the, the, the Bible's clear. We are not to bear false witness. That's exactly what she just did. She, she, she lied. Does God bless that? No, but God works, works all things, even, even that together for, for his purposes. What else could she have done? I mean, Really, if we're going to sit through it, what else could she have done? I don't know. Let's read Genesis 19. What did Lot do? He didn't lie. Granted, he, he had another really stupid thing that his, was his idea. Here's my daughters. Take them. That was, that was really bad, too. But he told the truth. He didn't lie and say they're not in here. I guess bottom line, here, here, here's, here's, the, here's the thing for, for us. Lying. And I can't find a single instance where this isn't the case. Lying always points to a lack of faith. If we are lying about something, it points to a lack of faith on our part. Now, can you, can you blame Rahab? She, we're going to see that she understands who God is, but she doesn't know much at all about him yet. 
And I would imagine that with her lifestyle and the people that she hung around with, lying was probably a big part of life. So can we come down really harshly on Rahab? No, no. She's a, she's a pagan who, if, if anything, is, just a, is a new believer in God as God has revealed himself to her. But what's our excuse? We know. We know. And I guess bottom line that I'll just leave it on this, guys. We need to always, always, always speak the truth. Always. Well, we see that she is a, a prostitute, that, that she's a liar, but wow, what faith in action this woman has. I mean, understand what's being laid out here. This is treason, what she's doing. These, these spies have come to her home, and again, she knows this. We're going to see in a second when we get there. She knows exactly who they are and why they're there, yet she hides them upstairs and she tells the people, you know, they're not here. Treason. I mean, her life is at stake, not to mention, you know, her family's lives and everything else. But Hebrews 11 says this. Before the, ver the, couple, the group that we just looked at, Gideon and Barak, the verse preceding it, Hebrews 11, 31 by faith, Rahab the harlot did not perish along with those who were disobedient after she welcomed the spies in peace. Rahab, this Rahab, the prostitute, the liar, this Rahab is in the hall of faith. That's pretty cool. And almost, almost put it right up there to... to one up that, if you would, even. Listen to what James says. James, giving props to Rahab, says this. In the same way, in what same way? The same way that Abraham displayed his faith by offering Isaac on the altar. That is what, she, what James is referring to. He says, in the same way was not Rahab the harlot also justified by works when she received the messengers and sent them out by another way. For just as the body without the spirit is dead, so also faith without works is dead. Wow. So yeah, yeah, we, we're, looking at, we're looking at Rahab and we could say yeah, pretty young in her faith, but a pretty powerful faith already. A faith that, that, that is it displayed in what she did. And, and both the author of Hebrews and James taking note of that. I think it's, I think it's telling that, that Jesus also speaking of a man who wasn't from the children of Israel. As a matter of fact... He was a pagan, he was a Roman, he was a centurion. Jesus said of that man, I haven't seen faith in Israel like that man's faith. And isn't that a shame? That we get the, this centurion probably brand new in the faith. Obviously he had faith because he came to Jesus. This Rahab, this faith, actions, living it out. So oftentimes there, that we see that faith in new believers and that, that, is, that is just on fire 
But those who have been in the faith for a while and, and kind of moving just along, it, it kind of cools off. May that never be said of us. The two spies, interestingly enough, too, I guess we kind of glossed over that. The two spies, they head right to the prostitute's house as soon as they get in. I mean, didn't they have better options than that? I mean, they probably had an expense account, you know. I'm sure it was, you know, hey, kind of stay wherever you want. You know, we'll, we'll reimburse you when you get back to camp. I, I, I don't think that was an issue. You know, actually, again, the culture in that time, this would be the perfect place to go in order to find out as much information as possible as quickly as possible. Because, again, understand who might be hanging around there. People coming in from outside of town, that's where they would head, that, that area. So trying to be disguised, trying to get in, trying to get information, but they're spotted very quickly, reported to the king. Well, verse 8 says, Now before they lay down, she came up to them on the roof and she said, and said to the men, I know that the Lord has given you the land. Notice, not just Jericho. He's given you the land. And that the terror of you has fallen on us and that all the inhabitants of the land have melted away before you. For we have heard how the Lord dried up the water of the Red Sea before you when you came out of Egypt, and what you did to the two kings of the Amorites who were beyond the Jordan, Sihon and Og, whom you utterly destroyed. When we heard it, our hearts melted, and no courage remained in any man any longer because of you. For the Lord your God, he is God in heaven, above and on earth beneath pretty strong language used here the terror hearts melted no courage left whatsoever their their the reputation of the jewish people preceded them this this had already gone just as god said remember god said this to them i will put fear in them ahead of you they they heard. Notice this, they heard. And notice first what they heard. We heard how the Lord dried up the water of the Red Sea before you when you came out of Egypt. How long ago was that? Over 40 years ago. Now, stop and think for a second. We heard about that. We knew that 40 years ago. Almost saying, where have you guys been? Oh, you didn't have enough faith to come over? You see, God did what he said. We were scared to death of you 40 years ago. But you were, you know, didn't take God at his word. <laughs> if God says it, he's already gone ahead of it. It's already done. <laughs> and again, I look at that and say, man, you guys, this battle was won 40 years ago. Here you are now. But notice also what they heard, this more recently, within the past few months. We heard what you did to the two kings of the Amorites who were beyond the Jordan, to Sihon and Og. And, and I say, you know, we know how tough they are. 
They were, they were neighbors of us across the river. We know, we know what bad dudes they were, and we heard how you just wiped them out. And in this, I, I love this, because again, guys, we have to realize that we fight from a position of victory. And the battle is half over before it even begins because the enemy knows they're beaten. I... I, I, I think back to when, when, I, was, when I was in high school, when my, my senior year, our basketball team was, we were picked preseason to win the state championship. I mean, we were, we, the funny, I'll just tell you real quickly, we lost our first game and then won 32 straight, won the state championship. We went into the first game way too overconfident. And anyway, but that's not my point. My point is, <laughs> there were several games that we knew warming up, this game's over already. We knew that, that the other team knew they were beat before we even started the game. They read the, they read the newspaper. They knew that all the, the press, they knew all of this stuff. And then they knew the team that just beat them by 20, we beat by 30 the week before. <laughs> you know, it's, it's so that it, the game was half over already before it even began. Now, I also know that from the other side of the coin when I went to college. <laughs> there were many times where I'm warming up on the other end with my teammates, and we're looking down at that other team, and we say, we don't have a chance. I mean, look at those guys. They're huge. So before you think I, I'm boasting too much, though my high school glory days were trumped by my college thumping days. So anyway, <laughs> Lord humbled me. I, I, I give that illustration also because we need to, if we take a look at this from the other part of this too, notice it says in verse 11, when we heard it, our hearts melted and no courage remained in any man. So it wasn't just Rahab that understood this. Everybody understands it. But it's not just knowledge and it's not just fear that saves anybody. That's not enough. It's not just the understanding of who we are. It's not just an, an intellectual knowledge of, of who God is. That's not enough. James also says in chapter 2.19, you believe that God is one, you do well. He says that very sarcastically because he follows up and says that the demons also believe that and shudder. They, they understand who God is. They understand the power of Almighty God. And for us to just say, I get it, and that, that, you know, I have a fear of God, that's not enough. Because even the demons have that and are scared. We need, we need a faith and a faith that works. It's not faith and works, it's a faith that works that saves us. That's what Rahab had. She understood this. She understood the whole picture. She understood her future if she didn't surrender to everything that this God and his people were going to do. She needed to completely give everything over. She needed to be willing to leave it all and follow Almighty God. Well, verse 12, now therefore, she's still speaking, please swear to me by the Lord. I love this because in the previous verse, the Lord your God, 
He is, in, he is God in heaven above and on, uh, and on earth beneath. But here she says, swear to me by the Lord. Not just your Lord, he's my Lord too. Since I have dealt kindly with you, that you also deal kindly with my father's household and give me a pledge of truth. And spare my father and my mother and my brothers and my sister with all who belong to them and deliver our lives from death. Notice she doesn't mention a husband or children. That will come into play later on. So the men said to her, our life for yours, if you do not tell this business of ours, and it shall come about when the Lord gives us the land that we will deal kindly and faithfully with you. Then she let them down by a rope through the window, for her house was on the city wall so that she was living on the wall. She said to them, go to the hill country so that the pursuers will not happen upon you and hide yourselves there for three days until the pursuers return. Then afterward, you may go your way. Why three days? Because in three days, God's got work to do coming across the Jordan. And tell me God's plans don't all work together. She said, "You got not even knowing, she's basically saying, you got to get back over there because you guys are coming back over here. Anyway. Then men said to her, we shall be free from this oath to you, which we have made us swear, unless when we come into the land, you tie a cord of scarlet thread in the window through which you let us down. And gather to yourself into your house your father and your mother and your brother, your brothers and all your father's household. It shall come about that anyone who goes out of the doors of your home into the street, his blood shall be on his own head, and we shall be free. But anyone who is with you in the house, his blood shall be on our head if, if a hand is laid on him. But if you tell this business of ours, then we shall be free from this oath which you have made us swear. She said, according to your words, so let it be. So she sent them away and they departed and she's tied the scarlet cord in the window. She makes a deal here saying, not, I, I need you to deal kindly with me, but also with my family. I think it's fascinating the parallel if you think of, again, stating the judgment that is coming and the only way to avoid that judgment or that judgment passing over you if we look back to the exodus when the, the lord said to moses tell everybody you take you sacrifice the lamb you take the blood and you put it on the on the doorpost of the lentils of the home and whoever's inside that house is safe you go out you're on your own you stay in that home and the angel of death will pass over. Here, Joshua taking that same thing, you're, or the, the two spies taking that same thing here. The scarlet rope, you put that outside your window and whoever's inside the home is safe. The judgment that is coming will pass by and you'll be safe. Many even, even the early church fathers pointed to that as a parallel between the two. I think that's all. And again, it's what color is the rope? Scarlet, color of blood. Again, pointing to the, the fact that it's the blood of Jesus that, that, that cleanses us from all sin and judgment passes over us because he took our judgment. Well, we're going we're gonna to leave Rahab for a little bit now 
I think it's, I think this is kind of cool too. It says, you know, make sure that this rope is hanging out when we come back. Well, she knows when are they coming back? Well, she knows it's at least going to be three days because she just sent them to the hills for three days. When does she put the scarlet rope out? Right away. <laughs> I'm not taking any chances. Sounds good. Following you down the, down the wall. I guess, again, before we move off of this, to go back to the point we were talking about a little bit before, this, this Rahab. If, if you were going to pick somebody out of Jericho, she'd probably be the last one you'd pick that would turn her life over to God, right? I mean, the, the immorality and, and, the, and the sin that was just a part of her everyday life. You'd look at her and you'd say, it's impossible that this person would come to the Lord. Well, Jesus, when he was speaking of the, of the, the parable or, or giving the example in Matthew 19, he said, he said, speaking of a rich man, but we could put this basically with any man, that it's easier for the camel to go through an eye of a needle. And when, when, that, when he used that as an example, saying it's easier for the camel to go through an eye of the needle than a rich man to get into the kingdom of heaven, the, the disciples said amongst themselves, well, who could be saved at all? And, and the Lord said, with man, it's impossible. But with God, everything is possible. Everything. All things are possible with God. The impossible is possible with God. That person, and again, I want to just leave with that because, again, here is this Rahab, the one that you would look at as the impossible one, is not only now saved from this judgment, but most of you probably already know what's revealed to us in Matthew chapter 1, verse 5. Not only is she saved from this, but we're going to see who she marries in a couple of chapters. And she shows up in the lineage of Jesus. Wow. That's, uh, that's, just, that's just cool. That's, that's how God works. And, and we think that we could say, well, they're too far gone. They'll, they'll never believe. They, you know, whatever. No, no, no. We we can't take that card out. We we just keep sharing. We just keep being obedient. Well, continuing. 22. They departed and came to the hill country and remained there for 3 days in the pursuers until the pursuers returned. Now the pursuers had sought them all along the road but had not found them. Then the two men returned and came down from the hill country and crossed over the same crossed over and came to Joshua, the son of Nun, and they related to him all that had happened to them. They said to Joshua, surely the Lord has given all the land into our hands. Moreover, all the inhabitants of the land have melted away before us. Again, I going back to the beginning of this, Joshua already knew that. Joshua already knew that. But here, two others now know this. And it does tell us at the beginning that he sent the spies secretly. So uh, maybe hedging his bet that if they came back without the same faith that he thought they were going to come back with, that all the people don't hear it. But now, it's not just Joshua that's excited. It's these two that are excited, and this news can, can spread and really take off. Well, chapter 3 
says, Then Joshua rose early in the morning, and he and all the sons of Israel set out from Shittim and came to the Jordan, and they lodged there before they crossed. At the end of three days, the officers went through the midst of the camp, and they commanded the people, saying, When you see the Ark of the Covenant of the Lord your God with the Levitical priests carrying it, then you shall set out from your place and go after it. However, there shall be between you and it a distance of about 2,000 cubits by measure. Do not come near it, that you may know the way by which you shall go, for you have not passed this way before. It says here that they are to follow the ark. The ark is going to go before them. The ark, as we know, studying through this, is, is, a, is, is the presence of God, symbolic to them of the, of the very presence of God. It's mentioned in this chapter, the ark, ten times through this chapter. Ten times. It's the main focal point, if you would, again, that their eyes need to be on the ark. The ark is going before them. The presence of God going before them. And again, I just have to draw the parallel. Because as we talked, they are, when they cross over Jordan, they are not crossing from life into death. They are crossing from the, 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 the being a Christian, being, being again taken out of Egypt, taken out of slavery to sin in this Christian life, being taken to the fulfillment of all that God desires for us. The promised land is not a picture of heaven. People believe that. We've talked to this before, but real quickly again, it's not a picture of heaven. It is a picture for us of the full, abundant Christian life that God desires for us. It's not a picture of heaven because there's wars going on over there and battles going on over there. Heaven's not going to have any, praise God. But in this, knowing that, that we are going across and we're going to be fighting these battles, as they were told to keep their eyes on the ark, the presence of God, we are to keep our eyes on Jesus. It's exactly what the author of Hebrews tells us, right? In Hebrews chapter 12, verse 2, fixing our eyes on Jesus, the author and perfecter of our faith. That, that, is, that is who we look to. And notice it says that, that, that it's 2,000 cubits. That's, that's about 3,000 feet. That means it's over a half a mile away that it's going to be ahead. Why so far? Well, there's a couple million people plus. They all need to have a clear, unobstructed view of that, as we all need to have an unobstructed view of the Lord Jesus. People can't get in our way of that. We can't elevate people into that position. The world can't get into our view of Jesus as we elevate things of the world. No, we need to have a clear, unobstructed view of Jesus, as they did. They say, it says here, so that you can see, because you, you haven't been this way before. You're going to a new place. You have to keep God in view. And don't get ahead of him. Keep your view, keep your look, keep looking. Then, verse 5, Joshua said to the people, consecrate yourselves, for tomorrow the Lord will do wonders among you. We all want to see God do wonders, don't we, in our life? 
we all want to see God do miraculous things in our life, right? I, w- I would imagine it would be pretty hard-pressed for anybody who has faith in God that would say, you know what, I, I'm kind of tired of seeing him do stuff. You know, we all want to see him do the miraculous in our lives. But the question that I ask many people as they come to me and we have this discussion, my question first and foremost is, how badly? How badly do you want to see God work in your life? Because if you really want to see him do miraculous things, you need to do what has been commanded here, what Joshua says, you need to consecrate yourself. You need to consecrate yourself. That word means to to set yourself apart. It means it, it, it means to, to dedicate yourself, to sanctify yourself. It has to do with personal holiness. Alan Redpath said it this, and I, 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 I love the way he puts things. This just puts it in such a great way. It says, the level on which God meets men depends on the level on which we as Christians are prepared to meet our Lord. God can only meet us in the, in the place that we're prepared to go. And if our hearts aren't right, if, if we're involved in things that we shouldn't be, if, if we're distracted, if we're focused on other things, God can't meet us where he wants to meet us. God can't show us the things that he wants to show us because we can't see it. We need to consecrate ourselves. We need to set ourselves apart. And there's so many things that we can look at in the word to point to that, but Ephesians 5 stuck out to me today. Ephesians 5:15 says, "Therefore, be careful how you walk, not not as unwise men, but as wise. Watch how you walk, making the most of your time." Confession I do waste time. I look back at over the course of a week sometimes and I think, man, if I would have (laughs) claimed all of the time that I wasted for the Lord, man, what else could he have done? I'm not saying no downtime. I'm not saying no relaxation. I'm not saying no hobbies, all that type of stuff. Those are, that's not what I'm saying. But could we all honestly say that we've, that any of us haven't wasted any time over the last week? Making the most of your time because the days are evil. That doesn't fit today, does it? So then, do not be foolish, but understand what the will of the Lord is. And do not get drunk with wine, for this is dissipation, but be filled with the Spirit. Speaking to one another in psalms and hymns and spiritual songs, singing and making melody with your heart to the Lord, always giving thanks for all things in the name of our Lord Jesus Christ to God, even the Father. Being filled with the Spirit. Emptying ourselves of the worldly things. Getting rid of any known sin in our life. Confessing that, turning from it, repenting, and being filled with the Spirit sanctifying ourselves, setting ourselves apart. When we do that, when we do that, God shows up. God does miraculous, amazing things. Verse 6 says, And Joshua spoke to the priest, saying, Take 
up the Ark of the Covenant and cross over ahead of the people. So they took up the Ark of the Covenant and went ahead of the people. How did Joshua know that he's supposed to take up the Ark and, and cross over ahead of the people? How, how is that going to happen? We're going to see in a second here. I'm going to show you that. But how would he know that? How would he know to do that? Well, God's going to outline the plan for him in a moment, but he seemed to know ahead of time. Look back at verse 8 of chapter 1. This book of the law shall not depart from your mouth, but you shall meditate on it day and night, so that you may be careful to do according all that is written in it, for then you will make your way prosperous, and then you will have success. If, if Joshua is an obedient man, which he is, he's in the word of God every day. And he's meditating on the word of God. And he probably came across the story that he was present for, but to review it and see that how, how awesome God was and how he parted the Red Sea and they all went through on dry land. And he's got to be thinking, all right, as the Lord maybe bore witness to his heart, that's what we're going to be doing here. Don't know that for certain, but God does speak to us through his word, does he not? If... We consecrate ourselves. If we go into his word seeking him, great illustration of this, I'll just take just quickly, and I know he wouldn't mind me sharing this. Pastor Ed Urak, down in Buckeye, become a really close friend of mine over the past couple of years. Well, he was pastoring a church in Grand Rapids, Michigan for 18 years, and God was blessing the work, but he needed a break. He was actually bivocational. He was working a full-time job and pastoring this church for 18 years. So he took a couple of weeks of vacation to go and, and go to a pastor's conference, and then he came out here to visit some relatives just to seek the Lord and, and to just, just to relax and just spend time in God's Word. And in his daily devotion, as he's going through, he's going through the book of Genesis, and he comes to chapter 31, and it says this, then, verse 3, Then the Lord said to Jacob, Return to the land of your fathers and to your relatives, and I will be with you. And he was stopped in his tracks and brought to his knees, because he's from Phoenix. And he had gone to California and then went to plant this church. But the Lord spoke to him so loudly and clearly in verse 3 that he is to leave Grand Rapids, Michigan and come back and plant a church in Arizona. And he was like, Lord, you know, what, what am I? And he kept on going back. I'll be with you. I will be with you. But it was so clear to him. And that so blesses me. Well, his wife is out shopping, right? She's out shopping with other friends and they come back and she said how how was your how was your morning fine he says i want you to do me a favor go in and just just read genesis chapter 31 why that's just just because she goes she grabs the bible she goes in she's in there two minutes and she comes running out we're moving to phoenix <laughs> God, God wants to speak to us in his word. 
he will bear witness in your heart. We probably, there's probably instances of that. People could share how God's used a verse and specifically just spoke directly to their heart. I believe that that maybe had something to do with what we see here with, with Joshua. But it says then, verse 7, Now the Lord said to Joshua, This day I will begin to exalt you in the sight of all Israel, that they may know that just as I have been with Moses, I will be with you. Notice God says, I will exalt you. Always, always, always let God be your PR guy. Let him do the exalting. Also, when we do that, he does our defending, but he also does our humbling and our disciplining. You shall moreover, verse 8, command the priests who are carrying the Ark of the Covenant, saying, when you come to the edge of the waters of the Jordan, you shall stand still in the Jordan. Then Joshua said to the sons of Israel, come here and hear the words of the Lord your God. Joshua said, by this you shall know that the living God is among you and that he will assuredly dispossess from before you the Canaanite, the Hittite, the Hivite, the Perizzite, the Girgashite, the Amorite, and the Jebusite. Behold, the ark of the covenant of the Lord of all the earth is crossing over ahead of you into the Jordan. Now then, take for yourselves 12 men from the tribes of Israel, one man from each tribe. It shall come about when the soles of the feet of the priests who carry the ark of the Lord, the Lord of all the earth, rest in the waters of the Jordan, that the waters of the Jordan will be cut off from the waters which are flowing down from above and will stand in one heap. Now we hear the plan revealed in detail. It says that the, the, the priests are carrying the ark, and when their foot rests in the water, God's going to take care of it, and they'll be able to cross over. Now, I have some slides I want to show you here. First of all, it's a, it's a map. It kind of shows where everything is. You can see the Dead Sea down there, and that is where they're going to be crossing, uh, crossing over. And up above there, you can see Jericho. It's a little fuzzy, or maybe it's my glasses. But anyway, you can, you can see this is, this is where we are geographically. Now, they're crossing over. They're right at the shore there of the, of the Jordan River. On the next slide... This is actually a picture that that bald guy. Maybe you, if you look up here now, now that, you see that <laughs> baptizing some some folks from one of our trips in the Jordan River. If you've never been to Israel, we are going. We have a meeting after second service this week. If you're interested, but uh, February 28th, March 10th next year. But going and being baptized in the Jordan River, awesome thing. Well, this is up close to the Sea of Galilee. This is an awesome place to do the baptisms. It's really clean. Actually, Pastor Chuck Smith was really involved in getting this whole thing put together. It's really a cool place. But it's not close to where the, the, they, they crossed or where Jesus was baptized. That's actually on this next slide. This is down towards very close to the Dead Sea. This crossing area is right across from Jericho. So this is within this area, and based on the number of people that crossed, that this probably an area where some of them crossed. Anyway, uh, so you can see there behind behind me, that's the, the Jordan River. 
But, and you can look at that and you could say, you know what? I guess that could, that could probably happen. You know, I mean, he, it, and, and it probably wouldn't take a whole lot of faith to, to just take a step into that water. But let's take a look because it tells us that the Jordan is at flood stage. This is the Jordan at flood stage. Notice where the tree is. Now, here, again, let's, I, I put myself into these situations. You got the priests walking up with the, with the ark on their shoulder, and it says that when their feet touch the water, when they go into the water, now, again, if, if we're talking like a nice gradual decline, you know, I can get my toes wet first and my, you know, you know or no, I mean, th they have to step into that faith. Faith. I mean, I, I get to the edge and I'm like, all right, Lord, go ahead, stop the water. I will carry this over myself. These other guys can sit down. I'll carry it over myself. Just stop the water. <laughs> do you, do you, Lord, you know how valuable this thing is we're carrying, right? I mean, they're going to make movies out of this. <laughs> that day, you wish you were in the back, right? I'm the, the guy... But it says too, it says, it says when their feet rest, and that word rest is rest. I mean, it's not like, ah. no, it's just trust, faith. But as soon as their foot touched the water, boom, it says that the water stood up all the way to this town named Adam, which is 15 miles upstream. <sighs> Now again, we saw how the volume of water that's coming down here, and the Lord stopped that. And it drained the rest of it down into the Dead Sea, and then it says they crossed on dry land. Dry land. We gotta, let's pick that up there then, verse 14. So when the people... So when the people set out from their tents to cross the Jordan with the priests carrying the Ark of the Covenant before the people, and when those who carried the Ark came into the Jordan and the feet of the priests carrying the Ark were dipped into the edge of the water, for the Jordan overflows all its banks at the days of the harvest, the waters which were flowing down from above stood up and arose in a heap a great distance away at Adam, the city which is beside Zarethan, and which were flowing down towards the sea of the, rather the salt sea, that's the dead sea, were completely cut off. So the people crossed opposite Jericho. And the priests who carried the Ark of the Covenant on the Lord stood firm on dry ground in the middle of the Jordan, while all Israel crossed on dry ground until all the nation had finished crossing the Jordan. Again, just the, the miraculous things that God does when they consecrated themselves and they stepped out in faith and they saw this amazing thing. Again, the, 
the miracles pile on top of each other. Again, if you think through everything, first of all, as soon as their foot touched the water, the water is backed up 15 miles up upstream, dry ground that they're walking on. Where's all the rest of that water going? God stopped it somehow. I mean, just again, God did this miraculously so that a couple million people could cross over on dry ground. And the people in Jericho, they had to be thinking, all right, yeah, we're scared of these guys, but we got two things going for us. One, we have walls around our city. Two, the, Jer the Jordan River is between us. Well, we got one thing going for us <laughs> as the water stands up and these two million people come over. Wow. Well, we'll pick up chapter, start in chapter four next week. Let's pray. Lord, thank you. <laughs> thank you again as we see in this the amazing power, the, the incredible miracles that, that, Lord, are just, are nothing to you. Lord, we desire to see you work miraculously in our lives. And Lord, if we take nothing else away from tonight, Lord, I pray all of us take away that challenge to consecrate ourselves and to walk by faith. That we would, that we would allow you, Lord, to speak to us, to work in us, to show us any area, any area in our life that is displeasing to you. Those areas might even be things that the rest of the world can get away with. They might be things that other Christians seem to have no problem with, but Lord, we give you permission to show us things that we need to get rid of in our life so that we would set ourselves apart for you. And Lord, it's our desire to walk by faith. And Lord, if that if that means that, that we have a, need a word of encouragement or somebody to come alongside, Lord, we pray that you would do that, that our faith would be strengthened and that we would please you as we step out. Lord, have your way. Thank you for your time this, this evening in your word. Bless us this week now as we continue finishing out this week. And, and Lord, it's our desire to hear from you every day in your word. Speak to us. Speak to us clearly and personally as we... Focus our attention on you. In Jesus' name, amen. amen. God bless you guys. We'll see you soon. Church will stand, she 